Shabbat Shalom! Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Thank you for tuning in this blessed, blessed Holy Sabbath. And those of you in the chat, a special Shabbat Shalom to all of you for connecting today. Keep up the conversations during the week at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Travel with us through the book of Maaseh Shlechim in the Hebrew, the Acts of the Apostles. But you and I know, ultimately, the only way we're going to see through these days is by the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh in our lives. I gave you an introduction last week. I'm going to carry on with that introduction just because I want to paint that big picture for us before we jump into the text. Today I'll give you a little bit of um, historical background, talk about dates, that type of thing, and we'll delve right in. Remember, the whole premise is a shift here from the apocalyptic into the power of standing in faith in spite of our present circumstances. It's a shift in my life and I think a shift in many of us that have feel the oppression outside in the nations and want to come into that enlightening hope and glory that can only come through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now Acts is a guidebook in our cultural return back to the whole house of Israel because ultimately all of this is for naught if we can't become that one new man, right? We need to become that one new man. How are we going to live? How are we going to live a set-apart life? That means I need to make distance and be set apart from fear. I need to make distance and be set apart from fear. How to live set apart from the day-to-day -day implosion of a culture. Is that what they were doing in Acts? Was their culture imploding? Everything that they knew, was it imploding? Yet they were able to live set apart from the day-to-day -day implosion of their culture, implosion of the political realm, and set apart from possible a revolution. So does this actually correlate to how we should live today? Yes, it does, which is why I think it's so important for us to get this perspective. I know it's important for me because I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to be in bondage. I want to transcend beyond what my eyes see, beyond what my ears hear. I have to. And how do I do that? By experiencing power. Because the rest of the world is living by two senses, really. What the eyes see and what the ears hear. Look, that is why most people today are chained. They are chained. I'm not talking you. I'm not talking you believers, I'm talking the heathen, they are chained to two senses. What their eyes see and what their ears hear. But can they really, and as the days proceed, can you really trust what your eyes see, unbeliever, what your ears hear, unbeliever? No. 
You can only trust the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and the still small voice because it's not in the whirlwind, it's not in the fire, it's not in the earthquakes as the prophet told us, but it is in the still small voice which is the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. So let me just kind of unpack this for you and then we'll go into Acts. I'm going to try and lay this as bare for you as I can, okay? Look, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. You're like, well, I thought we were going into the book of the Acts. The book of the Acts or the Act of the Books? But we're going first to set the stage of not just looking with our eyes and hearing with our ears because the stage was set for truth in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. But the fall has happened. Satan cannot create anything. He can only take what he has seen done by the Creator and flip it and pervert it. And that's what I want to unpack for us before we go in our journey on the book of Acts, because I do not want to rely upon what I see and what I hear. I want to rely upon the still small voice and the power of the Holy Spirit in this next season in my life and our life. I hope you'll join me as we go deeper in a supernatural way. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it is written. There's a few things I want to bring out here. Ground, air, to see, and then to call forth into existence. Ground, air, to see, and then to call forth into existence. And out of the ground, Yahweh Elohim formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to view, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was, it became so, it was brought into his reality, the name thereof. Ground, air, to see and to call forth into your present reality. So, out of the dust, what is dust? Sand, glass, minerals. Pick up your device. That's from the dust. It's technology that is based upon a glass, fiber optics, sand, and minerals. There's copper, there's all kinds of minerals involved in the making of that device. And it comes from the ground. Out of the dust brought forth, then it goes to the airwaves, to mankind. And whatever mankind perceives, he calls forth into his life. Satan has taken the Genesis 2.19 and flipped it through occult technology to bring man into subjugation of fear of his senses. Our cultural house of technology is built upon the sand of fiber optics. It comes from the dust. And it brings forth fear 
And when we buy into that fear collectively as believers, our house is built upon sand, and we will never be able to apprehend the promises of Scripture. And we've all been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it. Our cultural house of technology is built upon the sand of fiber optics and therefore fear. And we will no longer be able to stand as the house of faith if we call that kind of substance into our life daily. Meaning, what Yahuwah did for mankind's good, Satan is doing currently for mankind's demise. To bring forth images formed out of minerals onto a glass screen through the airwaves so man will call forth fear, project imagery, and live in the shadows, a garden overgrown with thickets and thorns of fear. That's what happened to me. Too much news, too much negativity, too much fear coming from the dust of a mineral screen projecting what I see and hear. But there's another way to live. There is another way to live. Isaiah warned us, it's a metaphor, 14 verse 29. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery serpent, meaning a burning curse. You want that root? Because the disciples, the apostles, were plugged into a different form of technology. They were plugged into a different route. And that technology, if you will, was the indwelling power and manifestation of the Ruach HaKodesh. Because that route, the prophet spoke about, and he said it is called the root of Jesse, which shall stand for a dolman assigned to the nations, it shall be for those that shall seek his rest and receive glorious shalom. That's where I want to be, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. I'm ready for some rest. After 22 chapters of Revelation, I need a bit more shalom, Matthew, in my life, you're all saying. I want some supernatural change. That's why we're going to do this teaching, because I'm ready for it too. So let's jump in, give us some oversight of where we're going. Who on earth even wrote the book of Acts? Well, of course, it is called, oftentimes, Second Luke. Second Luke. Luke, who wrote, of course, the gospel, the third gospel, is the writer of the book of Acts, I believe. Now, some may disagree with me. People always disagree with Matthew Nolan. That is okay. I'm used to it. But the evidence of Luke's authorship, 
not only lives in antiquity with Irenaeus, 130 to 200 of the Common Era, Clement of Alexandria testifies to Luke's authorship, 153 to 217 of the Common Era. Of course, the anonymous Mortorian Canon of 170 of the Common Era, that in antiquity attests to Luke's authorship. Eusebius in 325 of the Common Era attests to his authorship, but also in the well-known we passages of the latter half of the book. If you look in Masesh um, Lachim, Acts chapter 16, verse 10, we, 20, chapter 20, verse 5, chapter 21, verse 1, these, of course, are the well-known we passages. Chapter 27, verse 1, chapter 28, verse 16. Because Paul accompanied Luke, accompanied Paul from Troas in Asia Minor, to Philippi, hence the we passages. So I would say we're pretty secure in saying Luke was the author of the book of Acts, second Luke, if you will. Now, it's very, very Hebraic. Now, this is going to trigger some people in the comments section. Oh, no, it's not. It's Greek. Well, that's the problem. We've been Greeked out for 2,000 years on this. And it's end up causing many, many denominations. Now, if we go back to a Hebraic perspective, I think things are going to become very clear for us. Very clear indeed. So I think that Hebraic perspective is lost when you have this Greek mind that, of course, is very prevalent in academia. If it was written in Hebrew originally and then translated into Greek, then well, what happened? Well, the genesis of this is missed by most academics due to the fact that Acts is heavy on the Greek. It really is. I'm not denying that. But why? That's the question that I pose. Why is Acts heavy on the Greek? I agree. It doesn't line up with the Masoretic text, and I'm thankful for that, quite honestly. Its influence on the surface appears to be Greek, and that's where academia leaves it. And they go Greek, 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 and then they Greek you out. And then you end up with replacement theology, or you end up with all this churchy dominionism. But again, I'm not denying that it's heavy on the Greek, I'm not denying that it doesn't match up with the Masoretic text, but I'm not leaving it there. I'm asking why? 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 These are the questions that you should ask, and then you should, if you're a student of the Scripture, come to the heavy reliance upon the ancient Hebrew, which was translated into the Greek Septuagint, which shows and demonstrates through the text why it doesn't match with the Masoretic text, which, of course, is so much newer than the influence on the Septuagint. Let me explain that. Luke, I believe, was relying on the Hebrew text of the day, the text of the synagogues, which we don't actually have in usage today. And we'll get into where and why that is. The Masoretic text is new. 
it comes to us from about 900 in the common era, whereas the Septuagint comes to us from 240 before the common era. So that's a thousand years older. Which one's going to be more reliable? Something that has been messed with by a bunch of Masoretics, those that deny that Yahusha is the Messiah, they had an agenda, or 70 in excess rabbis who had no denial of Yahusha bias because it was before he came that was validated by the Jewish community at the time and they had no problems with it. Well, I believe that we need to look at that older Septuagint because it was, of course, in circulation in Yahusha and Luke's time, translated and undisputed by 70-plus rabbis from the synagogue, Hebrew of the day. There is where we need to look. So for about 1,600 years, the Christian faith has been put forth from a Western Greek perspective. Okay, and we've inherited that. But in this series, I'm going to challenge that. And I hope that you'll bear with me and we'll dig in and see that this will actually lead us not into churchy dominionism, but the one new Hebrew built man and women, because there is no male or female, Greek or slave. We are all one in Messiah. And this is a supernatural creation of Yahuwah, not the hands of man. So I'm pretty excited about what this is going to, I hope and pray, lay bare. Now, this Greek perspective that has been thrust upon us, mainly from academia, brings forth this new religion that somehow miraculously appeared somewhere between Yahushua's ministry and the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, right? This new religion appeared. That's the Greek perspective. I'm going to blow that away because it's a myth, and myths should be blown away. And we live in a time of myth and fantasy, don't we? Many of the things that are being forced upon you, they're myths. They're myths. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep, I'll go along with that myth. It sounds good to me. <laughs> it's going to keep me safe. <laughs> Bloody Henry. We live in fantasy land, don't we? Everybody's trucking off the cliff of the myth. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for that, okay? I like to deal with facts. I like to go with text, and I like to go with the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome my fear of their myths, <laughs> okay? I'm just telling you the truth. Now, there's many reasons why this happened, and they range from very sinister motives. Of course, I always think there's a sinister motive behind, behind everything, don't you? I mean, there is. Usually there is, okay? Now, my wife, blessed be... She always thinks the best of everything and everybody. Whereas I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I think it was deliberate. I, th I, I, think they, I think they're out to get me. 
No, man. Oh, no, no. I think, I think, yeah, I think we need to be very cautious and very protective and defensive here. You know? Oh, they wouldn't do that. I'm like, why do you always go to everybody's defense? They are guilty as sin until, no. But, you know, I'm just wired. There's a sinister motive. I'm just being honest. You know that. Come on, you all know that anyway. It's the synagogue of Satan is behind everything and everybody who is against Yahuwah and the word is influenced by the synagogue of Satan. That's just the way. And there's my fear again, you see. So I have to overcome this stuff. So, you know, may, may, maybe there's some sinister motives. I'll give you that. Maybe a few. But it could be just mere convenience of trying to blend. You know, this is the more, you know, holistic approach. It could be just the mere convenience of trying to blend this seemingly, seemingly, I did say seemingly, new religion into established cultural practices in order to maintain some semblance of government. What would you call that? I'd call that syncretism, right? Okay, that's not so sinister, but it's still wickedly wrong, in my opinion. So the New Testament, I would say, was written for a Hebraic orientated audience. And its reliance was on the Hebrew that was translated into the Septuagint. That's what I'm sticking with, and that is my premise. And then, because the nations were heavily influenced in academia by Greek, the Septuagint was the vehicle in which to disseminate the information out to the nations, which was the purpose of the book of Acts. That is why you have the Greek influence. But its influence, its origin is the Hebrew of Yahushua's day. That's what I'm sticking with. That's my premise. So, but in academia, if it's written in Greek, then that legitimizes the split from the Old Testament, doesn't it? I'm not going with that, but that's what they would say. But if it's written in Hebrew, which is what I'm saying here, originally that's where they're pulling from, then we know for certain that our way of interpretation is going to be proper and we will end up not fractured and greeked out, but one new man, which is going to be supernaturally powerful. You see, Acts from a Hebraic perspective doesn't mean you have to make the claim that it was written in Hebrew, but that it came from a Hebrew cultural perspective, grounded in the Septuagint, which is rooted in the Hebrew. So I hope you can maybe rewind that and get what I was saying, because that is the premise for this whole teaching. The Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek to convey Hebrew ideas to a Hebrew people in the language of the day, making it possible to convey Hebrew, Hebrew ideas in Greek deemed a necessity 200 years before Yahushua they were doing this. 
So I want us to look at this book and realize it may very well be a Jewish or Hebrew-based document, even if academics insist that it was written in Greek. That's all I'm saying. Now, let's look at the date. Now, there's three dates. Now, some people will say, oh, get on, get on with it, Matthew. Would you just get in? Well, I feel that I would be doing a disservice if I didn't give you an introduction. But maybe that's just me. Because I'm, we're only products of our past. And I would sit in Calvary Chapel and they'd just dive right in and they'd give you no dates, no history, no context. And I felt like I was just being led down the garden path into the denominational doctrine. So I can't do that to you. I want to be honest, open, and clear. Look, I think it was written by this fella. I think that it is Hebrew-based. Yes, I see the Septuagint and the Greek there. I'm not denying that it's possibly written in Greek, but let's not just stick with academic ideas here. Let's go back to the Septuagint origin of the Hebrew. And now I want to talk to you about some dates. I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I just led you down the, t the garden path, okay? Oh, this is a Torah-based document. Let's all get messianic and start doing the Hebraic dance and Shabbat Shalom. I mean, but then, then we're no different than, than the church. Okay, we all, you deserve the respect to at least know where I'm coming from. And then you can go, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Well, no, I don't agree with that at all. No, not at all. Do you agree? Or you're not undecided? Undecided? Do we have, if we have a thumbs up, thumbs up? All right, let's continue on. Let's go at the dates. Now, three dates are suggested, okay? Before 70 of the Common Era, between 80 and 85 of the Common Era, and uh, 105 and 130 of the Common Era. Now, I'm not going with the latter dates, and I'll tell you why. The latter dates are based in part on theory that the author of Acts wasn't Luke, which is a problem then for me because I just stated that I think it is Luke. I'd even call it second Luke, if you will. So it's obvious I'm not going to go with the second dates, is it? They've just been trying to Greek you out with that nonsense. Now, where did they obtain this? Where did, where, where did this information come from then if it didn't come from Luke for those latter daters? Well, they're saying, well, this came from revolutionaries, the revolutionaries, Thaddeus and Judas. They're the ones that wrote the book. I don't buy that. You've just become too intellectual for me. Okay? And that doesn't mean that we can't use intellect and logic, but we have to depend upon the Ruach HaKodesh and believe in the inspiration of the word of Yahweh. And so here I go and tell you my claim. I believe that the Bible is inspired, divinely inspired. Now, I believe that the funky monks have got in there and messed around with it. I believe that the Jews, the synagogue of Satan, the Ashkenazi, have got in there and corrupted it. But I believe that the autograph of the scripture was inspired by Yahuwah. There you have it. That's me. And I'm sticking to it until Resurrection Day. Okay? So, let me give you my position here, and you see if you can trek along with me. I believe it was written before 70 of the Common Era. Because chapter 28 ends with Paul under house arrest. Right? 
whilst he was waiting to appear before Caesar. He was actually free to preach to all who came to him. So this had to happen, if you think about it. It had to happen before 60 of the common era. Why? Because a great fire swept through Rome, and Emperor Nero, at that point, blamed it on the followers of the Nazarene. And there was a lockdown of sorts, (laughs) right? You've got to watch out for those tyrants, these sinister little devils in control, politicians. Stay focused, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, relax, relax, no fear. I cast out fear in the mighty name of you. See, I'm wrestling with this just as much as everybody else, okay? I'm just telling you, I am not, not immune. Number two, Acts doesn't mention Paul's death which appeared to be very imminent, didn't it, in Second Timothy chapter 4, and that happened around 68 of the common era. So I'm definitely, you know, already leaning based upon this to before 70. Plus, I'm not buying that it wasn't written by Luke, which, you know, I'm just telling you. Now, the third thing is, now, near the end of Acts, and by the way, the end of Acts... Uh, That's not chapter 28. We'll get into that at the end of Acts. The end, end, end of Acts. But near the end anyway, Luke portrays the Roman government as somewhat benevolent toward believers in Yahushua. And that definitely wasn't going on after 64 of the Common Era. See, so I like to, this is the kind of thing that, you know, keeps me up at night, but you already know that about me. And then finally, the fourth thing, the vocabulary includes disciple, Talmudim, the people of Israel, the son of man, as well as language about geographical and political details that that would lead me to believe that it was written before 70 of the common era. That's my premise, and that's what I'm sticking with. And I don't care that you've been a pastor for 60 years, and that you walk in here with all your Greek theology. Okay? And if you want, you want to, let's go. I mean, I'm not opposed to going, going at it with a 70-year-old man. I mean, you've got a cane, you have the advantage. Now, some people now say that's ageism. <sighs> Too much soy in your lattes. Good night. Not you, right? You just chow down on all of the good stuff. Now, back onto the text. My beliefs, then, is it's being written before Paul's death, puts the axe somewhere, I'm saying, around 62 of the common era. I think that would be a very, very sensible place to put it, based upon what I've brought forth so far. Now, the absence of references to the result of Paul's Roman imprisonment, of course, he was then released, um, and then later executed, or or the fall of Jerusalem in 70 of the common era. Well, why doesn't... That's pretty important, right? Why isn't that in there if it's later? You'd think they'd have mentioned it. It's kind of a big deal. It's unlikely, then, that it was written later. That's what I'm saying. Acts actually paints a pretty positive picture, really, of the Romans in light of things that happened later 
it really doesn't, you know, it could be a lot worse. If it was written later, you'd be thinking, oh, no. But it actually paints a pretty positive picture of Roman justice, which would have been impossible a decade later with the Nero persecutions, the destruction of the temple, and the systematic door-to-door Roman persecution. So do you think that this is prevalent today? What? That we need to be a people that can rise above these types of persecutions. Political, door-to-door knocking, all of these various things. The only way we can do that is to overcome fear and tap into the power of the Holy Spirit together as a community. So in this study, we'll be reading the missing chapter, 29, which shows the overwhelming evidence for a Malkitzedic Torah priesthood. In this book, we're going to see the apostles wrestling with how to incorporate the returning non-Jews into this Torah-based lifestyle. We're going to see doctrinal issues ranging from ecclesiology, the study of just who is the one true elect bride of Yahuwah, to soteriology, the study of salvation itself. And I think what we'll notice is the time is marked by the Hebrew cycles. You'll look through of Sabbaths and feasts. and As we journey through the Acts, these are the time markers, which today is so important. Regardless, and this might offend some people, on how or when you're celebrating the Sabbath, now I've offended a bunch of you, or the feasts, because there's many different calendars out there, the Sabbath and the feasts are time cycles. Now many of us are celebrating the feasts and Sabbaths, but we're not all synced up yet. But have you awoken to the Sabbath? Have you awoken to the feasts? Are you going to have a Passover supper? Are you going to do those things? Well, be patient on the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh to cycle us all together. Don't fight one another as we journey on this together. It's not about that. Then we'll have disunity. If an engine starts up, the power of the engine is started, to use an analogy and a metaphor, but ultimately the pistons will cycle together in unity. But if it's a cold start, they're going to be different until it kicks. If we've had 2,000 years of greeking each other out, you can't just expect to put the key in the ignition and all of a sudden us all be on the same exact reckoning of the Sabbath, the same exact reckoning of when the start of the year is. The Okay, that's the mistake. We've been in exile for 2,000 years. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than my intellect. And it's bigger than your logic. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will get those pistons moving in a supernatural way. And that is beyond you. And that is beyond me. And I'm okay with that. I'm not fighting it anymore. I am relying 
on Yahweh to get his people where he needs to get us. It's going to be through the recognizing the Sabbaths, the feasts, and the festivals. But allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move you to get there. That's all I'm saying. Woo! Man, I'm going to have a sip from our sponsor. We got this shipped south of the border. Don't know how it got through California. California is very dangerous right now. Okay? If you're out during the day, it's safe. But at 10 o'clock at night, it is dangerous. Dangerous, deadly place. And it's dangerous all the way through till 5 a.m. in the morning. Then at 5.01 in the morning, miraculously, it's totally safe again. So I don't know. This must have gone on the day shipment. That's all I'm saying. Because otherwise it would never have got through Mexico, up through California, with all that nighttime danger down there. Unless, of course, you are like Nero, and then you get to go and eat in a three-star Michelin restaurant. But we won't talk about that, will we? Stay on focus. Hypocrisy drives me nuts. Oh, dear. But even Nero got his in the end, didn't he? He got his in the end, and they'll get theirs in the end. Look, let's get back on track. Let's give you some scripture, Matthew, to help you relax. Second Timothy, of course, chapter 3, verse 16, will give us the truth of the matter, that all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in Zadokar righteousness. What we will notice is that time is truly marked by Yahweh. It's not marked by man. It's marked by Yahweh. And when these governors try to put in all of these restrictions, they are just trying to act as gods. But Yahweh is the one that marks time, not man. Yahweh is the one that marks time. But if you raise up and pretend that you're the one that marks time, then you're the one that will be judged for such things. That's tyranny, and Yahuwah hates tyrants. So I know that he's going to take care of us, because he will not let us be marked by the time of men. No more. He's gathering one new man, and we are not beholden to the times and dictates of man. We are beholden to the Creator's time and the power of His Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that Yahweh would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's the whole purpose of the book of Acts. And Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my favor and power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. The Hebrew cycle of the Sabbaths, the feasts, from prologue to epilogue in this book is framed in the Torah. 
and it is going to be buttoned up to be disseminated out amongst the nations who to the scattered sheep of Israel lost in the nations. I love this quote. Professor Cal Totten of Yale University once said, I can never be too thankful to the Almighty that in my youth he used the late Professor Wilson to show me the difference between the two houses. The very understanding of this difference is the key by which almost the entire Bible becomes intelligible. And I cannot state too strongly that the man who has not yet seen that Israel of the Scripture is totally distinct from the Jewish people is yet in the very infancy, the mere alphabet of biblical study. And that to this day, the meaning of seven-eighths of the Bible is shut to his understanding. Meaning, all Jews, the house of Judah, are Israelites. But not all Israelites, the house of Ephraim, Joseph, are Jews. The ten northern tribes, the house of Ephraim and Joseph, scattered in the nations, were assimilated into the nations, and they are non-Jewish Israelites. And most people haven't a clue what I just said. Because they're in the infancy of Bible study, which is where they want to keep you, greeked out and scattered in the nations. Is it the church, truth, or tradition? Is it the church, truth, or tradition? Because the church was not born in the book of Acts. The church was born in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. And El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and you shall become a church of nations. That is literally what it says if you translate it into English properly. The Hebrew word there for church, of course, is kahal, which was translated into the Greek word ekklesia, which was then put forth into our English language modern as church. The church consistently was born in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. That is textually and linguistically indisputable. But you have to have the church born in Acts chapter 2 for your Greek Romanism and syncretism to subdue the nations into servitude and slavery. So, the question I ask, based upon that premise of Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, is this. What body was the church birthed from? Okay, now for 1,500 years, possibly longer, the majority would say, well, the church was, was birthed from the Vatican. Well, let's break down that word, Vaticanus. Well, what does that mean? 
habitation of the dogs. So that's the problem. They would say that the church was birthed from the habitation of the dogs. Well, I would say the church was birthed from Israel's body. Which one are you going to you see? It's a dichotomy, isn't it? Religion says the church was birthed from the habitation of dogs. Well, Yahushua said something about that. Rome, of course, we know, was established on seven hills. And each of those hills was originally named by the Etrusians. There were settlements on six of these hills in Rome. But the seventh hill, I was really hard to build on because it was a soggy, boggy marsh. The soil was so loose. So the Etrusians, they decided that that would be a good area for digging and burying their dead. So they buried their dead up there for centuries because the graves were shallow. But because the dead graves were shallow, then the dogs would come out from the city and they would dig up the bodies and feed upon the dead bodies. And the Etrusians named this hill Vaticanus. Vaticanus, meaning habitation of dogs. Because the dogs would go up for a flesh-eating, a carnival. You see where all this is coming from? It's a dichotomy. The church was born on flesh-eating Vaticanus, the habitation of the dogs, and a carnival. Or the one new man, the true church, was built upon Israel's body. Which body are you going to go with? The majority on the broad road? Vaticanus, the habitation of dogs, flesh raising. The remnant, the narrow road? Israel, Jacob's body. Let me break it down a little further for you, those of you that are confused, because we've been programmed for so long. The Etrusians named this hill Vaticanus, meaning habitation of dogs. Later, a Roman ruler named Caligula drained this site and held enormously popular carnivals. Now, a carnival means, is the Latin for flesh-raising. Caligula was a devotee of Bacchus, and he held orgies and drunken parties on a regular basis. So don't be shocked when all of this abuse comes out in the Catholic Church. It's nothing new under the sun, except we have glass screens that can disseminate the information where the information used to be kept just inside the Vaticanus. But it's been going on because that's the origin of the Vatican. Flesh-raising, drunkenness, perversion, and orgies. Because that is its inception point from that very hill. Whereas the one new man is birthed from Jacob, Israel's body. It's a totally different Elohim. It's a totally different Savior. It's a totally different one new man. 
And I believe we are seeing all of this exposed in our day because one is imploding and the other is being raised up by Yahuwah. And that is powerful and it should be encouraging for us. Now the obelisk, um, the obelisk of Caligula, it still stands today in the center of the chariot wheel design in front of St. Peter's Cathedral. The Vatican stands on the same hill where the Etruscans buried their dead. So it's basically one enormous graveyard. The tunnels beneath the Vatican have entire walls, just think about it, made of human bones. That's some freaky stuff right there, isn't it? And from here, they took the spoils and hid them in their archives and fed the nations the scraps. So many of those Hebrew scrolls of the New Testament, I believe, are hidden in the Vatican. And then they fed the nations the scraps, the habitation of dogs. And that's what they've done for two millennia. So... The question then, based upon this premise, is was the church born from Jacob Israel's body or was the church born at Vaticanus? It's a dichotomy. Most people that you come into contact with today that have compromised and become lukewarm, they would go, oh, it's the Vaticanus. Don't fight with them. That is where their origin of the species, if you will, comes from. But we're a different species. And we align with Jacob, Yaakov, Israel's body. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And that's what most people are doing with their life. But narrow is the road. And small is the gate that leads to life. And only a few people shall find it, a remnant. Yahuwah is with you. Yahuwah is with you, that you are awakened to this truth. Don't discount that. And when things are tough out there, which they are, just remember you're part of the people that have the testimony of Yahusha and keep the commandments. And I know you get discouraged, and I know we get fearful. But let's not lose perspective of how Yahuwah views you in this day. You have come so far not to be forsaken, but to be that bold light in a dying world. These are amazing times to be alive for such a time of this, but we're no longer going to go with the crumbs. 2,000 years of crumbs is enough. I hope this journey through the scripture will give us a feast and lead us into his festivals. Genesis chapter 35, Bereshit, verse 9. And Yahweh appeared unto Yaakov again, and when he came out of Padam Aram, and he blessed him, and Yahweh said to him, Thy name is Yaakov, Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore, Jacob, Yaakov, 
but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And Yahweh said unto him, I am El Shaddai, be faithful, be fruitful, excuse me, and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. This is after the birth of the church. What is the church? It was just defined. We come out of Yaakov, Israel. 2,000 years of crumbs, that's the problem. The vicar of Christ was laughing at peasantry whilst the pontiff pontificated at them in Latin, Latin, dishing out a wafer crumb. And that's the reality of it. They were laughing at them. The pontiff pontificated at them in Latin, which the peasantry couldn't even understand, and they gave them a wafer crumb and sent them away. So let's make sure as we approach the text that we're not using eisegesis and putting some Torah ideas into the text, but we are actually extracting out of the text all that it has for us because the conclusion, I believe, of the New Testament about this new creature that we call the New Testament church is that it's not New Testament at all. But a new Torah to all Israel in restoration to Elohim. And that is powerful and super encouraging to me. Galatians chapter 6 verse 16, it says thus, A new creature and as many as walk according to this rule, shalom, peace be upon you, and mercy and upon the Israel of Elohim. That's the inception point of the true church. So how are we going to begin to rethink years of this anti-law bias? And basically, it's been religious programming, hasn't it? How are we going to rethink that? That's a challenge, but I'm up for challenges. It's too much for most to be able to overcome. And that's why they haven't journeyed with you. It's just too much for them. Why? Israel, Jacob's bloody Torah, feasts and festivals. Oh, you know, oh, I'll do the feast for a little. Ah, oh, forget it. I'm going back to Christmas. Christmas trees. Feasts and festivals don't make any sense to me. What makes sense to me is taking all of my lights outside and hanging them on a tree and bringing my tree inside. This is insanity to me, but to them that makes sense. Shows you how crazy the world. You know what makes sense to me? Getting a pumpkin, not eating it, making some nice pumpkin soup. No, that makes no sense to me. But how about we carve it out inside, put some demonic face on it, and then take a fat from a baby that we just sacrificed to buck us. Stick it in a candle inside to warn off the demons. That makes sense. This is the world we live in. And most of them are governors of our states. Right? And you think I'm joking. It's a cult. 
to the very top. It's lunacy. So if we go up to fight against it, what's the point? They're madmen. They are lunatics running the assault. Don't dialogue with the lunatics, Matthew. Because they can reason away their stupid all day long. Because there's no truth in them. There's no light in them. They're perishing in the darkness. And it's all about power, tyranny, and subjugation. Vaticanus, they're feeding off another body. That body is a slave body. Just don't be a slave. They're trading in souls, and we need to trade in shalom. It's a different currency. It's for a different man. The one new man. So I'm in this new season in my life, and I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived, because there's a struggle within me. But I want to be better. I want more shalom. I want more faith. I want less fear, and I want to help us together. You help me in prayer and support to get where we need to go for this next season to be powerful saints that will affect change. But there's no point fighting with those that are feeding off the flesh of the occult because they literally have no understanding, and their reality is so far from the truth. Most won't even look at what we're saying. Most won't even look at what you're saying when you go into a store, when you travel down the road, when you go to a hospital. They don't want to listen to what you have to say. No matter what you're saying, when it's truth, whether it's based on law or reality, they are just programmable, programmable matter. And they've been programmed by the occult to be what they're going to be. But for us, we can overcome. But them, they are happy with the scraps. And they're happy living amongst the dogs. And that is basically what this world is moving towards. You'll be living on the scraps and living amongst the dogs in that system. But we have a different, different hope and a better way to live. Most won't even look at the truth of Yahuwah and the truth of his son because it's too hard for them to comprehend. It's a shift of faith for us, and it has changed us for the better, has it not? Has it not to live a life of redemption and fortitude? That's the point in my faith now where I don't want to argue I don't want to answer a fool in his folly. Have I succeeded in that? No, because I've been fighting my whole life. And I like combat, but it's not good for me. It's not good for me, and it's not good for you to listen to me being combative all the time, is it, out there? Now, some of you encourage me. And I like a little encouragement, because we don't want me to turn into a soy boy or anything like that. But, you know, there's no chance of that. But, you know what I'm saying? Look, Acts is a record of how to live in the fold of faith. 
It really is. It's a record for us how to live in the fold of faith. It is written to nourish the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because the lost sheep that have been scattered out in the nation, they have been starved in the nations, only being fed scraps from the Vaticanus table. The bread of his word was cast to the Vatican. That's the problem. And then the Vatican has disseminated it to the nations from there on, causing spiritual starvation and dogma. Dogma. Because it's the habitation of dogs. Yahushua warned us. In the 15th chapter of Matthew, in the 23rd verse, it is written, Yahushua answered the woman, just not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, just just get rid of her. And I know many of you in Oregon are thinking about the governor in the... Just get rid of her. Send her away. For she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now in the Shem Tov Matthew it says, I was not sent but unto the prostituting sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Master help me. Well wouldn't that be nice if some of our leaders finally humbled themselves and returned to the creator who created them. But he answered and said, it is not meat. Listen, it is not meat to take the children's bread. That's yours and ours, the Torah, the word of Yahuwah, and cast it to the habitation of the dogs up there at the Vatican. And she said, truth, master, truth. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which will fall from their master's table. Then Yahushua answered and said to her, oh, woman, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou willest. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Are you getting what I'm laying down? Are you? You don't know. How about you? Moshe, do you get it? Yeah, of course, he's he's my firstborn. He's like, oh yeah, definitely, definitely, I'm totally with you, Papa. And we'd be, we'd be traveling back together and he'd be like, what were you talking about? I'm talking about, are we born from Israel's body? And then are we going to live as the one new man? Or are we born from the habitation of the dogs and just going to be content being thrown scraps from the master's table, which is a Greek minded way of approaching scripture where you have new testament versus old testament law versus grace jews versus gentile it's a divisionary system don't you see that today it's always a divisionary system divide 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 but yahweh says there is one elohim there is one savior And there is one Israel and one people. He is the Elohim of Israel. And therefore, if we're going to follow the Elohim of Israel, we have to graft graft in to Israel's body and say no to the scraps from the master's, master's table. 
So we know that we're coming into the fold of faith. And that fold of faith is a transformative, transformative faith. And that, for me, is encouraging. And I think I'll pick up next week because I've gone a little bit long because I was rambling somewhat. See, I'm still a rusty bucket. I've got to get back into the groove, taking all that time off for study and rest. We're going to look next week at chapter 1, and I'll begin next week with a breakdown of the fold of faith because I believe that is where Yahuwah wants to take us as his people, moving strongly and boldly as the people of faith that he has brought us to in this time. And for me, I want to triumph over fear, and I really want us to work together to support one another, not to be judgmental of where we're at, but to help one another, not just look at our glass screens and go with what we see and what we hear. But we must listen to the still, small voice of Yahuwah to be set free from that. Because S.A. Tan has reversed the promise of Genesis 2, of what you see and what you hear you call out for life. He's now reversed that through the dust, the glass screens, our technology society that we live in. And now all people are seeing and hearing. They are calling out into their life. And it is a fear-based system of division that leads you starving, hungry, in the exile. Why? Because its origin is from a different body, the Vaticanus, the flesh-raising. It is a cult. It is the Luciferian. It is a system of top-down control where the peasantry literally are at the very hands of the system of overlords. But we are not going to be part of that. So no matter what's coming around the corner, the book of Acts shows us how to try be triumphant in a time where there is instability. And that is because we do not go by sight and we do not go by the hearing of the ear and we do not call out and live in fear, but we are able to transcend it. And Stephen, Zephania in the Hebrew, is our model for him to be able to say, I see standing because Yahushua was sitting, but then he stood in honor of the first martyr of the Brit Chadashah, Stephen, Sephania. I see the master standing at the right hand of Yahuwah, and he overcame all his fears. He overcame all that was going on around him, and that was so important because that set Peter free because he was afraid. Remember the cockerel? He was afraid. The disciples scattered, but when Stephen transcended his fear, that was it. Now, I want to be just like Stephen, but I would hope for a better outcome. But ultimately, he had a glorious outcome, right? But I would like to think that I'm going to be transfigured in this life into the next life, and I know that is your hopes and dreams too. Yahuwah has a plan for us. And the plan is that we will be one new man. And I hope that now I've set you up with a little bit of a foundation going into the book of Acts, 
Luke the writer, written before 70 of the common era, Israel, of course, the church is born from Israel, Jacob's body. We're one new man, and we are not going to be a man that goes by his eyes and his ears and fear the glass technology of dust that Satan has, of course, conjured up. But we are in a dichotomy shift to the one new man, Israel, and the power of the spoken living word manifest in our life. This is a great blueprint for us, and I'm happy and excited for the change in me, and I pray the change in all of you, because I think we've all been going through the same thing, because we live in a time where we must transcend the fear. Now, for me, I'm on restriction, self-imposed restriction. I'm not listening to the news and on my screen with the news every day anymore because I want to I don't want that influence in my life okay I want to know what's going on to a degree but I don't need that degree that I was so I think some of you also might need to make set those boundary stones up in your life if every day you know you're you're intaking all of this fear then it's gonna manifest in you and then how are we gonna hear the still small voice Okay, so that's what the world's doing, and they're deaf and dumb. We know they're dumb, but they're deaf too. So we don't do that, okay? Let's look at a different way. This is the way. Let's have a look and see what you're chatting me up with today on this blessed fine Shabbat. All right, all right. We are back. Torah to the tribes. Back, back. All right. If you want me to red line, red line here, let's make sure I've got, yes, I've got the live chat on. Nice, nice. Hey, Shiloh, Shiloh, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Talking about somebody that, you know, needs to lay off the screen. He says, speaking of the Vatican and now self, self-proclaimed president-elect, why do you think hashtag Biden 2020 divided by his text two number, which is number 303330 equals 666? Why do you think Antifa.com points to him? Because it's the habitation of the dogs. It's a flesh raising. It's a carnival. It's a freak show. Isn't it? It's a freak show. I'm just walk away from it. I'm walking away from it. I'm walking away from it. Okay? I am no longer going to feed off of that nonsense. That's just me. I got a whole whole mission to do. And that mission is the Besorah, the gospel of truth, light. And I know that he's going to see us through. Yahuwah put you in this world, in this time, in this space, in this reality, in this generation to do great things. Because you're equipped to do it only if you key and tap into the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. So he knew that you could overcome. 
So we shall overcome. I know it. I know it. McCarty clan. Shalom, shalom. Oh, she hashtag much more truth. Oh, well, all right then. Ah, much more truth, he says. I don't know what he says. Oh, yeah. What do you think the greater works than these are? Well, I think the greater works than these are are going and feeding the homeless, helping those in need, and having compassion and mercy, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Instead of all this fear, instead of all this fear, which locks you up, which locks you up. Chris from FEMA Region 4, does your sweater have glitter on it? No, but it should. Tamara, Nolan, when I get home, sprinkle me. Because I love a little bit of glitter. Linda George, I love Linda George. Linda George said, Matthew Nolan in all caps, please do not use all caps when talking about the living man. Too much information for YouTube. Um, shalom, brother. This will be a powerful series of teachings for our Christian friends and family. I'm tracking with you. Better not be tracking me. You can be tracking with me, but don't be tracking me. Okay. See, I've got to have a little bit of fun, you know. See, do you see the struggle that this one new man has? Why do you so easily nod? That, you see, that worries me. You should be like, no, I don't see any struggle at all. You're just a pillar of faith. You're like, oh, yeah, I see your, your human carnality and weaknesses, Matthew. Cheers, Don. Cheers. Cheers, brother. All right, Tim Spurl, Shabbat Shalom. I'm feisty today, aren't I? It says, I have a prayer request. My home farm has suffered loss of animals to death and rehoming recently, and we have a suffering chicken right now. Pre please pray over Sparrow Farms. I'll tell you what, we're going to have some suffering chickens at my house come summertime, aren't we, son? Now, when my daughters now are hysterical, no, I would never cause our chickens to suffer. But if I needed to, their heads would be on the chopping block very swiftly. No problems. But let's pray for the suffering chickens. And in all seriousness, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious here. Let's truly lift up our brother, Tim. Abba Yahweh, you are... On the throne, Father, and we do come around our brother and just pray, Father, that he would not be um, influenced by the surroundings that he sees with his eyes and maybe hears in his ears, but, Father, that you would give him the faith and the fortitude and that, Father, you would provide for him in his homestead, on his farm, that whatever sickness and death has been there, Father, that you would bring forth of a, a new harvest a new season, and that you would direct him and his family how to walk with you. And, Father, that you would be with them wherever they are and whatever they go through. In the mighty name of Yahushua, we just pray a blessing over Tim and the Sparrow Farms and just ask, Father, for a new crop and a new harvest. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. If you want me, Kevin Niebling redlined us, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, using your knowledge of the Hebrew characters and in light of the two's house reference, would you break down Melech Dawid's name? Of course, a, a, um, a Dalit, Bav Dalit. Yes, I could do that a little later, but not right here on the fly, on the fly. 
Um, Diesel Grandpa. Diesel Grandpa up there in Snohomish, in the apocalyptic. The outcome will be that what it will be, whether we watch or not. Good advice to back off a little. Were you born a rambling man? A rambling man I am. Rambling. I was rambling today a little bit, wasn't I? Quite a lot, some of you are saying. Let's see. To life, homestead, Zephi's homestead and garden says to life. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Hey, if you've got a question for me, put it up in the chat and redline at Torah to the tribes. And those of you that are watching on Facebook, you can't do it on Facebook. You have to hop over to YouTube. Give us some thumbs up right now. And remember, you can always leave some comments in the chat below and recommend, of course, this channel, this ministry to your friends and family if you want to freak them out and let them know where you're at. Now, Johanna Grace Jordan says, Blessings, Matthew, rejoicing that we are focusing away from the fear feed and feed instead on his plate as he fills it for us. Praise be. And you know, I vacillate back and forth, as you can see, rambling on. Why? Well, 22 chapters of Revelation, 2020, everything that's going on. And I am very alert and aware and put in the front lines that those of you who are local know what I'm going through. But it makes us stronger. But again, I still have to walk this out as you do too. And it is a struggle. It is a refiner's fire. We have to push in to overcome. But of course, the book of Acts gives us a very, very good platform on which to jump into that strong faith and that to me is exciting let's see i'll do a refresh here i think i froze i think i froze up here And this one from Bill Crane. Shabbat Shalom there, Bill Crane. He says, interesting that you talked about backing off the Internet news. I made this same decision this past two weeks. It has allowed my mind and spirit to ease up and clear up. It really does. It really does. That's a great word, Bill. So it's really an admonition for all of us, isn't it? It's an admonition for all of us. And just go back to the origin of that in Genesis. And you can see how S.A. Tan and those that have no faith, they only go by what their ears hear and what their eyes see. And then they bring that forth into their life. But the problem is what our ears hear and our eyes see that comes from the dust in a mineral form of a screen it's not trustworthy. The word alone is trustworthy. That's why this ministry, though we are using the mineral screen to connect with you in exile, we have to be word-based and Holy Spirit-based so that we can go, well, we look to the Bible text for the truth and the power of his word. Billy Brew says thus, we need to come out of Babylon. Yes, we do, Billy Brew. Spiritually and physically, it is definitely spiritual, but it is also physical too. 
it is right. Because Ezekiel 28 tells us that they are literally trading in souls out there. And we need to pull out of that system. We need to pull out of that system. He says, thank you for leading the charge. Can we start planning for a powerful Pesach feast? Yes, we can. We need to look for some private property to be able to do that because we don't know what on earth is going on in this blue state of ours, do we? So we can't be using public property because then if they change something, we, we, they'll, they'll, um, they'll close it up. They'll close it up. Anita Dapa, uh, thank you for your teaching. Please pray for our rebellious children. We have not spoken to our eldest in longer than a year, trusting Yah, but need prayer. Blessings from Ireland. Oh, that rebellious Irish. Oh, my goodness. My grandfather was Irish. Stubborn, stubborn. But, you know, not all Irish are stubborn. Just my grandfather, I'm sure, and real rebellious children. So we shall pray. Brethren, please. Remember, as we go through these chats, when people do have prayers, maybe when we're offline, that you could go back and you could look at Anita and you look, could look at the homestead farm and you'd be able to pray for those people and just, you know, put them in your daily prayers. That would be a blessing. That's what we're here for, okay? If you can have a little journal of people that you pray for every day, that would be great. So if you do have those prayers, put them up and we will take up the charge for you in prayer and supplication because that is again is power of transcendence isn't it that's what we do so put up your prayer requests right here in the chat and please some of you i know of course jose our brother jose is such a great prayer warrior and i thank my brother so much for being a fortitude of strength and faith over these past years that i've got to know him and he's very much helpful in the torah to the tribes connect platforms and would love to be able to send these prayers out to our brethren. And that is encouraging to me. Julia says, Azaria7 asks, what is your opinion of the Aramaic text? Um, my opinion? Well, that's, that's a heavy question, okay? Um, personally, personally, I like to stay with something that is, um, that you can pin down, okay? That you can pin down. And um, some of this stuff is very shifting and elusive, okay? And in the past, I've spoken about, let's talk about Enoch, the book of Enoch. And some people would charge me and say, oh, Matthew Nolan's against the book of Enoch. I didn't say I was against it. I was against you, you saying that it's, it's, it's on par with Scripture. I don't believe that because I think it's hard to pin down. It's hard to really pin it down. You've got first, second, third, fourth, Enoch, which one, what author did it really? Was it by? Well, you start, you know, getting into the Aramaic, and I think it's great. But, always watch out for the big buts. The Hebrew and the Septuagint, the LXX, that you can pin down. It's tight, it's strong, it's structured. You can stink your teeth into it. Now, you start to get into the Masoretic Hebrew, it starts to get a little bit loosey-goosey, okay? I'd say the Aramaic is on the par with the Masoretic text. It gets, starts to get a little loosey-goosey. I'm not speaking against it, don't get me wrong. But for me, the way I study, I like to stick with stuff I can really get my teeth into. Not that it shifts with this translation and then shifts again and then there's a different Aramaic and then there's... It's like, well, which one is what? 
And then you get, you know, a whole choir of different Aramaic voices. And it's like it becomes somewhat combative. And I've seen that in the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement in the past. That's all I'm saying, a product of my experience. But I do have several Aramaic um, Bibles at home, and I do enjoy reading it. But I would always go back to the Hebrew and the Septuagint myself. Um, let's see. Roxy, child of Yahuwah, aren't the Ozarks where Corey Ten Boom prophesied about? Well, I don't know, but I wouldn't mind knowing about uh, the Ozarks. That sounds good. Oh, I don't know about this one. I can't answer this, but I'm going to read it because I think it sounds fun. This is from Elada. What are your thoughts? Hey, if any of you have got thoughts about this, put it up in the chat right now. Redline it because this is fun. What are your thoughts about the founding fathers leaving with the Mayflower 400 years ago from Leiden, Netherlands, and before was a big comet event in 1619? Some compare it with COVID-19. I don't know. What do you guys think? But I'd like to dig in. That would be a great campfire discussion, wouldn't it? The Libby Tube. How is our dearest sister Libby? I hope you're doing well down there in uh, the south. Should we all just move to Laurel, Mississippi and grow hometown exponentially? No, she's kidding, but I'm serious. We should. And then they can totally do, uh, you know, a house makeover with, for us. Yes, Laurel, Mississippi. I mean, I have looked at real estate in Mississippi quite extensively. My family's not going for it. Moshe's going for it. We're totally up for it. There was 80. I could have got rid of my place up here and got into, how many square feet was it? It was 6,000 square feet on 25 acres, or was it 40 acres, with a lake, and it was like massive, with a swimming pool. There was totally room for suco fishing. I mean, it would have been amazing, except you're in Mississippi. But I'm flexible. I'm down. I'm down with the Mississippians. I'm down. Who knows? Some of you up here on the West Coast are like, we've got to do something. It is getting bananas here, isn't it? But then, you know, where do you go? I don't know. Let's pray about that. Let's pray about that. My Potato Munchkin says, I would love to see you do a study of the Maseroth, since I believe it is the original source of all scripture and prophecy. I think there's some amazing brethren on Torah to the tribes that could do a better job than me on the Maseroth right now. But I would love to check into that. But um, there are some, well, Larry, Larry right here in studio. Now Larry's getting all shy. Larry, the Maseroth, fascinating. You've done a lot of study on that, haven't you? Yes, give us a microphone. And um, tell us any, any things that you see coming up. I know some people are, are talking about Inauguration Day and how that 
is possible that that coincides with some galactical um, spectacular, but um, oh, it remains to be seen. Thoughts, comments, or would you like just to bow out at this point? Because I put you on the spot again. I don't really have anything for what's coming up. Um, a lot of my studies was the Revelation 12. Yeah. Right. Which we're still looking for to flee the woman fleeing into the wilderness to yes. be sustained and nourished. And that nourishment begins by us releasing the fear and pressing into the Ruach Kakodesh so that you, because fear keeps you captive. You won't want to move. You won't want to go anywhere, right? Like a cornered sheep. They just freeze. Well, how are we going to leave if we're in fear? Right? Be like, oh, the garlic, the onions. Oh, it was so much better for us back there under Governor Brown. Oh, yes. We were in lockdown and they gave us rations. And oh, we had free health care, mental health care. <laughs> no, no. What a bunch of nonsense. Much more truth says December 21st, Jupiter and Saturn conjunction could be S.A. Tan getting cast down. Okay, so there we go. Hit us up with some more, much more truth on the Maseroth if you can, and then we'll finish up here because I'm sure I'm going way long. I have no idea what time it is. I forgot to set my clock, and I'm literally winging it up here and having a great time doing it. Remember, subscribe to the channel. Give us some thumbs up and have some comments. In the comments section below, everybody in the chat, thank you for supporting this ministry. It really does make a difference. And I really hope that we can figure out what we're going to do for Passover because, you know, it's going to be coming before you know it. And man, after this year, I just want to be around as many brethren as possible. I just want to embrace. I want to pray. I want to worship. I want to sing songs. I want to sing songs. I just want to sing. I do. Because that brings joy to my heart. It really does. Let's see what else we got here. Yes. Um, ah. Katrina says, Revelation 12 tells us when we leave on Exodus, Passover 2021. <laughs> I mean, prophetically, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, look at this. Ed says, I'm an hour from Springfield, Missouri. I have cattle property on Beaver Creek and getting ready to put up a greenhouse. Wow. Well, see, these are the connections we... I, I, we need, to, we need to press into this, really, as, as a ministry, as a people, and just seek Yahweh's face. Where does he want his people to congregate? Where does he want us to go? And we need to be able to come together, truly. So when you're on the Zoom platforms during the week, go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Let's have those discussions, and uh, let's see what the Father would have for us. I'm up for anywhere. I'm up for going where the Father would have me go. And this, you know, that's it, man. I just want to be with Yahweh's people, with you, us together, in the word, in prayer, in worship, because we need to be just like the first century, true Israel's body, ecclesia, the kahal, 
the true, the true church. And we will fi- finish up here with Linda George. What, a, what better way to finish up with Linda George? Ozarks. We went to Sukkot there. It's beautiful. And it is protected. Well, there you go. To the Ozarks. We don't know, but somebody's going to have to do some research. Private property is the key. Okay, private property is the key. So Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, what a blessing. We're actually going to do chapter one, Yahuwah willing, next week. Actually get into the text, but I hope I gave you some things to think about and pray that your week be blessed. Stay strong, stay in faith, and cast out the fear. Shabbat Shalom.